0: Father, we thank you for this day, Uh, we thank you for the promise of the week, this first day of the week, we get to start our week in joy, in worship, in being more closely in love with the risen and reigning Jesus Christ. Uh, Use this time in Sunday school to that end, we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, young people. You can head out, and not-so-young people, if someone would turn in their Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10 through 27, and as you're turning there, so before whoever it is is going to read starts reading, um, you're going to hear, and it's just providential uh, timing, it's not intentional at all, but you're going to hear an incredible amount of overlap between today's Sunday school and today's sermon. Uh, the the uh, themes that are going to be built in the Sunday school lesson and that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is is drawing our eyes to are the themes that come out of the text this morning. So, uh, but before someone reads that, I want to read to you a verse from John chapter sixteen, and this is Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples right before he leaves them, and he says. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that your life with Jesus would be closer, that your knowledge of Jesus would be more grounded if he was physically present with you? And I've think most of us would say, yes, <laughs> yes, I would like to be walking in Galilee with him. I would like to be seeing the lepers being healed. I would like to see that. But then there would be only one place in the world that he was. <laughs> there would only be one place in the world, and certainly it's a tiny little group <laughs> that gets to do that. And so that really raises the question of, and but he is saying this to this tiny little group. He's saying to that tiny little group, it's going to be even better. Uh, and, And that's kind of a hard pill, I think, to swallow. But Bonhoeffer shows us the way in which the body of Christ fulfills this greater, better promise of Jesus. So, could someone read First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses ten through twenty-seven, please? Did I did I write down the wrong chapter? Where am I? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, sorry. Verse 12 through 27. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was only two verses off. So, for those who are theologians or read a lot of theology, this is one of the hallmarks of Pauline theology. Paul develops the concept of the church and the temple throughout his writings. It's one of the reasons that a lot of scholars think Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, because the Hebraic uh, unfolding of the entire Old Covenant uh, temple worship is the central theme of the book of Hebrews, but but I do think this is a theme that simply runs throughout the New Testament. I think Peter uh, clearly builds this theme as well, So, so I don't think it's unique to Paul. But Paul develops this concept of the body of Christ and the temple of God. The body of Christ and the temple of God. And this is what these are the these are the two elements that make up how we engage with God and how we live with God. These are two elements that Bonhoeffer brings out: the body of Christ and the temple of God. So. Before we get into the body of Christ, when you think of a temple, what do you think of? A building. It's got Greek columns, it's got steps that go up to it, it's a temple. And that is entirely the wrong way to think of a temple. Because the old test Paul is approaching this. Remember, Paul is a is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He is educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He understands what a temple is. And so let's go back to the very first temple. I'm jumping out of order in my Sunday school, but uh let's go back to the very first temple, which is in Second Samuel chapter seven. Uh David wants to build a temple for God. And then, uh, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, "'Go and tell my servant David, "'Thus says the house of the Lord, "'Would you build me a house to dwell in? "'I have not lived in a house since the day "'I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, "'but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling.'" Uh, and then, you know, so why are you going to build me a house? "'Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, "'I took you from the pasture, "'I set you to be prince over my people Israel.'" I have been with you. I've cut off all your enemies. I will make you a house. I will build for you a house. And so the Hebraic understanding of the temple is the house. That's what we should think of when we think temple, where God dwells. That's the whole tabernacle system. This is where God dwells over the mercy seat, the presence of God, there over the mercy seat. The temple is the dwelling of God. It's the dwelling place of God. It's not a structure, and, and we approach it because we're trained as, I don't know, Western all of us, I guess, to some degree. <laughs> but, but a temple, to me, and I think to just about everybody else, conjures up the Parthenon or something in Egypt. My wife and I saw tons of temples uh, all throughout Egypt on our trip there earlier, and and we think of structure, but the Hebrew is never about a structure. And and as we'll see later, we'll get to this point. So I'll I'll, I'll hit pause because that really is point number two. Let's return to point number one. Sorry about that, but I, I do think that that temple idea, because in that passage, Paul is. Mixing together the language of the body in the temple and the household idea. And, and he develops this throughout. So the first obvious question out of that text is, who is the body? We are. So if you want to see the embodied Christ, where do you see him? In the church, amongst his people. This is where Christ, the embodied Christ, is found. And I'll give you an example. I've, I've, if, so I, I say this often to some of the young men that I, that I speak with. So you may have heard this before. But one of the reasons that we get into sin is because it's an easier path. It's more difficult to live with the challenges that are in front of us. But living with those challenges that are in front of us, and, and, and I shouldn't even say sin. I mean, I've seen, I myself experience this a lot. Uh, I would think that life was falling apart in one location, and if I just picked up and moved it would all be different. (laughs) And the first thing I unpacked from my bag or whatever was the same mess that I found in the first place. And I had to learn that lesson over and over again. I learned it over and over again five or six different times that it's me I'm running away from. Uh, And it's me I'm discontent with. And that's because I'm discontent with God and, and what God has called me to do and be. So at any rate, all that to say... Being in the church is a lot more difficult. It's a lot easier for me to find common ground with other people that have the same affinity for sports. The same sport. uh, With other people that have my ethnic background. With other people that have my level of education. With other people that have my level of income. Other people that, you know... And the church is this weird jumbled-up mix of Jews and Gentiles, of slave and free, of masters and servants, and and this weird jammed-together mix of people that are utterly unlike each other. And that's where you and I truly are going to learn. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness... Patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control. I'm sorry, that's the King James version, but I repeated it a lot as a child. <laughs> it's in the church that we find that. It's in the church that we that we are forced to to learn those graces and to and to see those graces develop and mature. Um. And and so Bonhoeffer is drawing this connection between the Christian, the group of Christians, the body of Christ, the church, and Christ himself in the incarnation. And and Paul does develop this. Uh, so in that passage, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, Paul says we are baptized into... the body of Christ to be united to the church to be baptized into the church is to be in union not just with Christ on an individual level but with his church this is where the body of Christ is found the body of Christ is those baptized into his name those who are his followers his disciples that's been bone over's entire point through this through this whole thing and Bonhoeffer says that every act that the incarnate Christ, everything the incarnate Christ did, when he was embodied in, in before his crucifixion, burial, death, uh, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, his body, every act he wrought was performed on behalf of the new humanity which he bore in his body. Now, Bonhoeffer is taking up the language not just of Colossians, putting on the new man uh, who's created after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, but he's also taking up the language of Paul in Romans 5, where Paul distinguishes between the first Adam and the second Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is the second Adam. He is the one who did perfectly what Adam failed to do. And so the entire argument from Romans chapter 5 is what Bonhoeffer is referring to here when he says that everything that Christ did when he was embodied prior to his crucifixion, he did on behalf of the new humanity which he bore in his body. And so that's where you and I are united to his obedience, uh, and, and one of the things that Bonhoeffer points out here, and, and it's a fascinating idea, Paul says in Colossians, in Colossians, this is the whole theme of the epistle to the Colossians, is the new man, the putting on, the put off, put on, uh, that, all that language. That's the theme of Colossians. But Paul starts with an interesting statement in Colossians 1.24. He says, Christ left some of the suffering undone. And he left it for us to fill up. That's what he says in Colossians 1.24. There's something about the suffering that the Apostle Paul goes through, and then he unites the church, the Christian, to this. There's something about the suffering that is completing the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a mystery. I do not know, I mean, Christ's work of atonement is completed. You do not atone for your sins through suffering by any stretch. Uh, you are united to Christ. You are raised together with him. The scriptures are very clear, New Testament, very clear uh, on that point. And yet, Paul says, in my Christian living, there is a suffering that he has left for me. And I think he's referring to me as part of the body of Christ. And Bonhoeffer points out that this draws our union with Christ specifically to the cross. The Christian, in bearing the cross, in, in participating in filling up what is lacking, that's Paul's words in Colossians 1.24, filling up what is lacking, It's in bearing under the cross that the Christian continues to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, and it draws our attention to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, and Bonhoeffer lives this out because in a couple of years he is going to put his life uh, on the line for this. I think there's a tendency, well, there are a number of tendencies in Bonhoeffer, uh, one of which, by the way, for those who are theologians, uh, Romans chapter 5 develops into Romans chapter 6, which develops into 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And in Romans 6, Paul makes explicit that in our union with Christ, uh, as the first Adam died for many, or died for died once for all. The second Adam dies for many, uh, and and Bonhoeffer says basically all humanity fell under Adam. Therefore, all humanity is redeemed in Christ, uh, and and I that is wrong. That is not Pauline theology. <laughs> so so Bonhoeffer is is not my ultimate guide here at all. But he does say some very helpful and and good things. He says when we see the church, when we see the body of Christ, he says here is his body crucified and risen. Here is the humanity that he took upon him. To be in Christ therefore means to be in the church. And that's one of the reasons that that I think the scriptures hold a very high value between profession, and membership. You generally are, well, you're, you're baptized into the name of Christ, which Paul says is the body of Christ, uh, and, and so this is where we see Christ, uh, and we we grow in our knowledge of him and our love for him here in the church. And then, let's move quickly to the second point, which came out of 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 7 to 17, which is... The church is the body of Christ. The church is also the temple of God. And as I mentioned at the, at the outset, when you think of a temple, don't think of a Greek building with columns and a stairs going up to it. The temple, when, when David approaches uh, God and says, Hey, I've subdued the land in your name, and now I want to build you a beautiful temple. And God says, You want to build a house? I don't need a house, I've, I've been happy to dwell in a tent, but here's what I'll do, David, I'll build you a house. And your offspring will raise for me a temple, and that temple will go forever. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been around the Christian, <laughs> if you're paying attention to what Christians today are, are tend to be very, very focused on, you know that a large part of the Christian Community believes that that is in reference to a specific building that's sitting on a hill. But if Paul says that you are the temple, then that promise that is given to David is not one that's talking about Solomon's temple. We know it's not because Solomon's temple was destroyed. There was another temple that was built and it too was destroyed. (laughs) And then a third temple. Came along. And and so this building was was decimated a number of times, but then Paul takes it up into Christ. And he says, this is the temple. This is the temple that God is building. The church is the temple, the holy people of God, that God is building up together. uh, The place where he dwells. Uh, And so Bonhoeffer says, the prophecy, the prophecy that God would, uh, David's offspring would build a temple, the prophecy still awaited fulfillment. Still, the people of God looked for a temple built by the son of David, whose kingdom shall endure forever. That's the specific promise that God gives there in Second Samuel. He says, I will give you a son, and he will build a temple that will live forever. And Jesus says of himself that he is the son of David. He is the one. That this prophecy was given to. So therefore, what's the temple that lives forever? That endures forever? It is the church. It's the house where he dwells. It's the spirit of God bringing us together as people of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Flowing up the hill to the mountain of God, to Mount Zion, to bring the praises of the redeemed. We are the temple of God. That's Paul's entire New Testament theology. So, the implications of this I just want to I wrote down three implications that we find in first corinthians six so again you know first corinthians twelve paul you know you're the body of christ you're baptized into the body of christ uh, the the temple idea, and so he says in in 1 Corinthians 6, this understanding of the temple. He's he's presuming the the, the understanding of the temple. He he goes on and explains it later in 1 Corinthians 12. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 8, and that's the passage you can look there. It's about lawsuits. Why why are you suing each other? Uh, Do you not know that we're going to judge the angels? Knowing that we are the household of God, Knowing that this is where I find the embodied Christ, knowing that Jesus is, I'm going to know his will and I'm going to know his, his purpose and I'm going to know his, the growth in him, should definitely change how we interact with one another. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Uh, you and I are more, than, and, I'm, and some people take this to an extreme, you don't ever go to court against somebody else that's a Christian and... And I'm I don't think that's what Paul is saying because he does say trivial matters. <laughs> uh and maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe he is saying that. I do think there's wisdom as we live in a society that contracts mean things, that uh we ought to be able but but the ninety nine percent of the stuff that I see on courtroom TV uh is <laughs> is not particularly meaningful. Uh and, and I think it, it certainly should change how we relate to one another. And then in verses 9 through 11, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither sexually impure, idolaters, adulterers, uh, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you were washed. Uh, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It changes not just how we treat one another, it changes me personally. It changes my behavior. Knowing that I am baptized into the body of Christ changes my private, personal behavior. Most of the stuff in there is stuff that we might not ever know that the other one is engaged in. It's just my personal stuff. And and it changes my personal stuff. And then in verses 12 to 18, uh, he goes on with the, uh, uh, do you not know that the body of Christ should not be united to one who is not (laughs) part of the body of Christ? You can read it yourself. It's more explicit than that. Uh, but, But that's the statement there. What are you doing uniting what belongs? What is the temple? What is the body of Christ? What are you doing uniting this to Satan? Uh, and it, it changes the very the the most intimate of our relationships, uh, the the most personal and close relationships we have. So it, the the effect of knowing that we are here, the body of Christ, is going to affect how I treat my brothers and sisters here. It's going to affect how I live in the privacy of my home, and it's going to affect even the most personal and intimate relationships that God has, has provided. It changes everything. And that's where we find the embodied Christ. Uh, and, and that's where Paul goes on in verses 19 and 20 uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All of these things build up in 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And that's both corporate and individual. And so, when we start off by saying, boy, it sure would be nice to live back in AD, 20 or whenever it was, <laughs> and to be a Palestinian, you know, be walking there, and uh, a member of the household of the Israel there, uh, be walking and hearing uh, this Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus himself says there's something better coming, and he goes on to say it's the Holy Spirit building together a people and building together this temple and this body, and so that is where we see Christ. So with that, I believe I've hit the time. My wife is waving her wrist. And uh, let me close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can be refreshed uh, in knowing that Jesus is not some distant Figure some some spiritual force, but he speaks to us by his word, speaks to us by his by your Holy Spirit, and we see him present uh, in your body. Help us to see the beauty, uh, to encourage one another, and to live intentionally uh, as the temple of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.